technology is not doing something for the underwriter that they couldn't do, but it's doing it in a way that allows us to be much more effective uh, and more efficient uh, in our underwriting application. Hello, this is Matthew Grant, and welcome back for this week's Instec London podcast. Or if this is your first time, thank you for joining us. If you like this, there is a great back catalogue now of interviews and chat from our events to dig into. Now, underwriters are very much at the heart of insurance, and chief underwriting officers in particular have a tricky role of ensuring their teams are writing profitable business, but also sourcing new opportunities. So if you're building a company, selling analytics, data, or even new solutions or products for insurance companies, then at some point you're going to need to convince the underwriters to use your product. James Slaughter is CEO of Global Risk Solutions at Liberty Mutual. They're the third largest property and casualty insurer in the US, and they've got a major presence in London. Now, like many of the most successful underwriters, James has a strong analytical background, but he combines it with creativity and an eye for opportunity. We're bringing this to you with the support of Insurance Insider, whom we find to be one of the most insightful sources of information in the wholesale insurance specialty and reinsurance market. Take a look at the episode notes for a link to download your free issue of Insurance Insider. James, great for you to join us on the Instat London podcast. Uh, one of the things that was always really interesting to hear from people is how they got into insurance. Now, you did a degree in engineering, which is great, and then you went straight into insurance after that, I believe. So what, what was it that took you from engineering into insurance? I was at university reading engineering, didn't have any great ambition to be an engineer as it was, although... I was pursuing at the time a career in the military as a, a sapper royal engineer. That didn't quite pay off and I uh, got home uh, with the bad news from my parents and promptly got told to go and find a living and packed my bag and walked to the city. My best friend was uh, in the insurance industry and he gave me some insight and seemed appealing. Uh, so I applied, I got in and I'm stuck here really. Uh, talk a little bit about your role in a minute but just be useful to understand a bit about Liberty. So you're a Liberty specialty, part of Liberty Mutual. Uh, I guess one question for me, actually, is the mutual in the Liberty name, what's the, the sort of history behind that? And then a bit about how Liberty specialty fits into the overall group. So Liberty Mutual is a, a genuine US mutual, very much at the heart of the Liberty Mutual creed and, and, and purpose is about helping people to lead safer, um, more productive lives. And that's true for our, our whole history. And we continue to pursue many of the founding sort of endeavors of the original Liberty Mutual and the many firms that make Liberty up. So I'm the CEO of Global Risk Solutions, which is one of our two insurance businesses at Liberty Mutual. We have our small commercial and personal business, GRM. Uh, and GRS is really our specialty, our large commercial and our reinsurance business. I was uh, a graduate trainee at what is now Aviva, commercial union in the day. Just at the time, they merged twice with General Accident and then Norwich Union. We were then offered the chance to join Berkshire Hathaway as part of the sale of the Marlborough Agency. So I then spent six years working for Berkshire Hathaway with Tom Bolt. And then I moved to Liberty, originally as a reinsurance underwriter, uh, doing a, a range of products. And then... Uh, in 2010, I was consulting for the group on reinsurance strategy, ERM and, and K 
cat cat modeling uh, and I took a permanent job job to set up our internal re and global reinsurance function and and that I ran that until uh, the end of 2017. So James, the CEO role in itself must be almost all-consuming, just keeping the wheels turning on the business, but uh, I'm sure you're looking at some other things outside of that. What are the main areas of focus for you as you look beyond the, the day job? So uh, I'm very lucky. We have very strong underwriting leadership within the businesses who focus on uh, you know, the day-to-day stuff. So I have, uh, I guess, the luxury to spend some time looking at longer-term needs for the business uh, and possibly some more existential work. So that's great fun. So that includes uh, our innovation group, um, which we'll probably talk a little bit about later. Um, I have the advanced analytics group. So a lot of where we're doing the machine learning uh, and artificial intelligence predictive modeling kind of work there. I still maintain my role in reinsurance. And then in the underwriting side, I'm really focused on a, a couple of areas, really. The foundations and the first principles of underwriting, ensuring that we've got those consistently across our organization. So you might think of those things as appetite. So we were four underwriting organizations coming together. Um, means we have to ensure that we've got a common appetite and a common go-to-market strategy. So that's important work. And then longer term, we, we encapsulate this under what we call elite underwriting, but trying to think about the role the underwriter plays in the in the value chain and where we can augment decision making with technology and data and where we really need to find the efficiency and opportunity for our underwriters to contribute their very best and some of that is freeing them up and some of that is bringing new tools to the game and some of it is actually the skills that underwriters need today are probably different to the ones I had when I first sat on the box in Lloyd's in 2000. So a lot of the focus there really is on how the future of underwriting and the elite underwriting role is going to develop over time. Yeah, and that, and that theme about the role and the relevance of the underwriter seems to be coming more and more prevalent. I mean, yeah, it's, it's always been known, but I, I think for a period there's a view that technology could almost replace the underwriter. When we were talking earlier, you, you sort of mentioned that actually in your experience that you were a long way from being able to do that. I mean, what would be an example of somewhere where you see there's change coming in from technology. It maybe enables the underwriter, but it, it doesn't replace the underwriter, but it does allow them to do something that they, they maybe couldn't do, say, five years ago. So I don't think it's things they couldn't do. It's about how much and the capacity and the effective and efficient nature in which they carry out their work. So a good example would be triage. So if you have a well-articulated appetite, as you have your inbound submissions, there is pretty simple technology that you can uh, screen uh, and start to rank those submissions based on attractiveness, um, metrics like uh, propensity to bind, um, uh, and estimates around what sort of rate you might get. So you could have 500 submissions in a week, but your underwriter can only really deal with 100. Instead of picking the first 100 that come through the door, just a simple bit of technology can allow you to to rank those uh, against our most attractive from an appetite perspective and most likely to bind. So our effort is concentrated in those areas where we're most likely to succeed in those areas that we are most attracted to from an underwriting perspective. So a very simple, it's not overly advanced technology, but it's using um, some of those uh, machine learning capabilities that we're we're building. And for me, it's about the underwriter um, focusing on our best prospects. So as an underwriter, I always think about the things that I get rewarded by. So that would be the size of my portfolio, the profitability of my portfolio, the ability to sell the right products to the, the right customers. It's, it's, 
if I can find ways to unlock my efficiency and do more of that as an underwriter, I'm going to feel better. So I think triage is a very good example where technology is not doing something for the underwriter that they couldn't do, but it's doing it in a way that allows us to be much more effective uh, and more efficient uh, in our underwriting application. Okay, I just want to come back to that in a minute. Before I do, though, just for anybody that's not familiar with the term bind or you said propensity to propensity to bind can you just explain what that means in practice so propensity to bind is is really a probabilistic measure um, based on the factors that we might determine so that could be anything from um, our known history of the client and and what they've bought in the past it may be our relationship with the broker and the understanding we have of how the broker markets that type of business it may indeed be uh, around our um, first cut view of pricing so are we in the game you know we, we kind of have a view of the market and we have a view of our own pricing and it's safe to say that on occasions we know the market will be more efficient than we are uh, and where we're not in the game we wouldn't necessarily go so you can Using um, fairly um, standard predictive techniques, you can um, assimilate some factors that, as you bring those together, can you know effectively give you a probability of uh, likelihood to bind, um, and we can use that to to guide our underwriters towards those more likely to bind, and that enables us to um, um, increase the efficiency of our underwriters. And, and more likely meaning more likely to to be to fit the criteria you set as opposed to the the customer is going to continue the journey or the broker is going to continue the underwriting journey with it, it's relative so it's more likely than the other one um so it's a relative ranking so um if it's perfect appetite match if it's right in our pricing sweet spot if it's with a broker that we do a lot of business with a client that maybe has three four other lines we would probably um hope that the likelihood to bind that kind of policy is higher than a new piece of business where we're 10% over the market uh, with a broker we don't do much other business with. Got so it. it's relative, it's not an absolute number, but it allows us to essentially rank and then attack those higher likelihood accounts in in uh, priority. Right, so it's partly a reflection of your own portfolio, your own existing portfolio where you've got opportunities and then partly the external factors and, and with regards to the, uh, the client itself. Yep. And, and what's the balance between tools you develop internally to enable you to do that versus technology or analytics or data that you'd buy in from third parties so that's a great question and that's actually one that is burning on uh, my desk right now so um, historically excluding cat and capital models which were traditionally vendor models in all the insurance industry certainly in the time i've been here um, most of our models are built in-house um, strong actuarial functions, uh, good connectivity with the underwriters enables us to build. Indeed, um, some of my team have come from those parts of the business that used to build tools and models. So most of it would be in-house. I've, I've just challenged our uh, uh, guys and girls to say, you know, are there more efficient ways to build models? So if you think in terms of machine learning, for example, as I'm learning in my new job, there are ways and means for you to essentially commoditize the code uh, and, and import that in an open source environment where we're not having to do much of the the sort of plumbing, uh, and our guys can spend our guys and girls can spend more time on the interpretation and the analytics. So we're actually running a really interesting experiment as part of our wider elite underwriting, where we're standing up external sort of open, nearly open source, not quite open source code. 
uh, versus our own capabilities and just measuring the differences and seeing whether those differences both operationally and output-wise are interesting for us uh, enough for us to review our internal build model. To find the organizations that have got those applications that you can link into through your open code or open platform, do you channel that through your innovation team at Liberty Mutual or is that just part of what you, you kind of expect people in the team to go out and find themselves? So we have a dedicated uh, innovation and insights team uh, as part of my organization, um, so uh, across the underwriting organization, uh, and focused really on three areas. The changing nature of risk, so what's experiencing being experienced by our customers and trying to address that, whether that's emerging risk, whether that's um, evolving technology in their own businesses or, or the way in which um, their businesses change from tangible to intangible, etc. We then have how our world is changing, how our processes are changing and focused on underwriting, uh, the service and um, thinking of insurance as a, as a service as well. And then we have the sort of future of capital. Where's the capital coming from? What sort of risks are they looking about? How do we solve protection gap issues? What sort of products can, can close the gap? So inside, embedded within that, we have the standard sort of partner, invest, buy, build kind of uh, approach. And we've got both at the Liberty Mutual group level, but also within GRS, where we partner with the Liberty Mutual Ventures Fund, the ability to engage either as a partner, either investing, we've made some investments, or indeed to, to look at partnerships uh, more broadly with them. So we we scan, we go out, we find interesting companies. We've got um, some great partnerships right now helping us. Um, we announced as Liberty Mutual a, a tie-up with um, MIT recently to really look at how we can um, turbocharge machine learning and AI in not just the our immediate uh, sort of uh, industry sector, but also more broadly. So how can it... Um, bring value to our customers, both personal and commercial. So a good example where we're partnering with outside um, bodies to help really drive forward some of that analytics space. And on that partnering piece, I mean, in the, in the personal lines, there's been quite a lot happening with connected car and uh, home, uh, connected homes and things. It's still, I think some some cases, still my mind to be proven that really works. But as you look at what's happening more on the commercial side, what would you see as examples where you're beyond just the efficiency and, and able to help underwriters and triage and manage the volume of, of uh, risks coming in. But are you seeing anything that is really is differentiating with regards to, for example, uh, connected homes, connected commercial properties, that whole broad area of IoT? If we go back to the, the mobility piece, we've put together a mobility pod at Liberty Mutual where we've brought our personal and commercial capabilities together to to address the fact that as AV becomes more prevalent, so the risk shifting needs us to have a different skill set, a different approach to the market. So we recognize that. So um, that's relatively new. And we've got some uh, interesting programs, whether that's Care by Volvo, uh, Optimus Ride, or indeed an education program with PAVE, where we're not just doing it for the insurance, but we're actually educating on the safety and benefits of autonomous vehicles. Um, so we've we've been in that space for a long time. If we go to IoT, I think there's huge opportunity and I've, I've spoken about how you could envisage uh, IOT enabled blockchains for immediate claim settlement post hurricane for example where wind speeds are measured you do fairly pa um, parametric driven um, measures for roof damage given a wind speed and and you could you could envisage a world in which that's much more um, 
digital and, and efficient. But right now, I think um, there's a long way to go in terms of our ability to ingest and, and um, manage data more broadly across the industry. And I think um, there's still a, an element of, in the commercial space, certainly, where um, there's a lot more value being created just in what we're doing today and we can do a better job at that rather than um, take our focus off the core and, and explore too far onto the edge. But, you know, we do, we have some interesting drone programs where you're kind of using devices to help us assess risk or indeed collect data um, pre-bind. So there are some interesting areas we're exploring, but I, I would say the pace of acceleration there is fairly low. Um, and I wouldn't say that's at the heart of how we see commercial over the next three to five years um, evolving. I think it's thematically true across the industry where I mean, IoT intuitively you can see why it, it makes sense to be able to get access to data from you know, machines or buildings, but uh, people are still struggling to really build that into the underwriting process, both in terms of um, adjusting the price and also ultimately impacting the overall risk mitigation in the cover. So as you say, it's, it's, it's going to happen at some point, but it sounds like there's nothing you, you're looking at this now or certainly nothing you're, you're willing to talk about where you actually see something that's coming up as a significant opportunity in the commercial space. No, and I think, so my um, my learnings over the last two to three years in, in certainly with InsureTech emerging as, as a hot button for everyone to try and understand and some of my involvement with some of the interesting projects that have been out there from B3I to some of the stuff we do at Liberty tells me that um, the agile, um, quick failure, the sort of... Um, um, POC approach tells me that it's always going to be um, in small doses and it's going to be gradual. I, I think Big Bang doesn't feel like the way in which these technologies will emerge into the, the sort of normal day-to-day -day way of doing things. So we spend, you know, we do have a, a lab obviously in, in Boston, Solaria Labs, where we do quite a lot of testing of this stuff, but they are very small scale. And um, if you find an interesting one, you can scale it to a degree, but I don't see you know, a, a sort of overnight Black Wednesday moment where underwriters are suddenly replaced by pure interconnected machine learnt underwriting algorithms. I, I, I find that extremely difficult to envisage. And I particularly put value on the fact that um, however hard we try to capture the risk in incumbent in a schedule of um, locations or, or intangible assets, you still need to have some sort of judgment applied to it. And so, as you know, in previous commentary, I've, I've talked about augmented underwriting. And I think, for me, the great value in the emerging opportunities in data analytics technology are about augmenting great underwriting decision-making. And for me, uh, I talked right at the beginning about elite underwriting being my focus. I want underwriters to feel very comfortable making great decisions. Well, you'll be pleased to know that when I spoke to Mark Gagan um, last week, he felt that journalism was going to survive longer than brain surgeon because you could you could replace a brain surgeon with a machine and, and I guess it sounds like what you're saying is that maybe underwriters might you know, survive beyond brain surgeons because the complexity of the risk decision is such that it's only for the near term or for probably the, the rest of our careers you're still going to need people to take a view on the data that's coming in you can't solve that independently of some human intervention yeah, I'm not sure I'd let a robot on my brain, even if it's quite small. But um, I genuinely think that there is an argument for uniqueness amongst our customers. They 
do have generally different risk profiles, needs, and and you need to you need to be able to capture that. And I think that's hard to capture in a in a codified, tacit way. Uh, I think it's much easier to do that as a human. I think you just can look and feel. Now, can you make more efficient decision making? Can you improve the efficiency and all of that? Yeah, I absolutely think you can. But I still genuinely believe um, that human augmented sort of decision making will be at the heart of uh, certainly commercial decision making for a very long time to come. Now, big insurance companies uh, or even medium-sized insurance companies have been a target for the last few years of people either looking from outside the industry or even those in the industry saying, yeah, they're moving too slowly, they don't get it, they can't do innovation. Uh, from your point of view, obviously being in, in an insurance organization that's already committed quite a lot to innovation, but from a really practical point of view, what do you see uh, as the industry as a whole being challenged with? Is it a perception or you know, is it just a lack of appreciation that both the technology is there and there is a need to change uh, so, but people don't, don't get it or do they get it but it's just trying to implement it is actually very difficult when you in all industries when you've got an established company and therefore it just takes time to to sort of figure out what the right things are to do that's a complex question and i think i'm going to split my answer into a couple of parts if i may so i think inherently outside in perspectives miss the one of the key aspects of insurance which is we're extremely highly regulated uh, industry. That regulation serves a very important purpose, which is ensuring that we're here to pay valid claims, uh, you know, hopefully in perpetuity. And that is not something that is, you, you can't rip that piece up. That doesn't get broken up. So in terms of the fundamentals of an insurance company, taking the premiums, investing them safely, and ensuring that we are, um, suitably capitalized to pay due claims I think people misunderstand how complicated that is and and how um, important that is to the absolutely to the delivery of uh, insurance as a, as a valuable product to its customers so I think people looking outside in probably don't understand that as well as they could and perhaps because that's not a particularly sexy or groovy or tech driven area of the business it gets not a lot of focus probably rightly so but if you don't understand that, I think it's very easy to just throw sort of wide dispersions that we're a bunch of Luddites and don't know what we're doing. The reality is, you know, we're hiring extremely capable, talented people into our organizations. And this is a general view across the insurance industry now at a faster rate than ever before that companies like Liberty Mutual have made specific allocations to invest in technology without going through the list of all of our technologies, some of the technology solutions Liberty Mutual has brought, particularly in the personal line space over the last four or five years, are as good, if not better, than anything that's coming from outside the industry. And I can think of um, claims um, apps that we have on our iPhones for own fault claims if you're in an auto uh, incident. Um, I can think of some of our drone use of drones to capture damage, which transforms the way in which we can adjust um, claims in, in particularly in uh, weather-related uh, events. I, I think it's a I think it's a dangerous accusation to throw at the insurance industry. Having said that, I also think you need to be large and you need the capacity to absorb the fact that, as many VC portfolios know, your success rate is a, a very strong bell curve with a five to ten percent 
upswing and a 95, 90% failure rate. And you need to be big to absorb those costs. And I also think you need the data and, and the creativity and the, and the um, ability to focus on it in an appropriate scale for it to have bring value. Then I look at Lloyd's. I think I like the way Lloyd's is leveraging the lab. We're obviously involved in that uh, program. I think that's a nice way, again, to, to bring some scale uh, and eff- effectiveness to uh, exploring opportunities in the tech and innovation space. And, and so picking up on the lab, it's interesting, this third cohort, they're now focusing more on established companies you know, with, with a solution uh, more closely linked to the future of Lloyd's uh, sort of manifesto. In your own, your own experience or what's happening at Liberty, what, what are you seeing as that balance between maybe where we were three years ago when there's a lot of emphasis around the kind of new people coming into the industry, startups, maybe well-funded, um, but didn't have a lot of experience versus my view is we're seeing more now where you've got more established companies that are maybe coming from that side of the industry. And you mentioned Volvo as one of your, your partners. So that balance between the ability from a sort of small team, albeit well-funded, to actually make a difference versus companies that have made a, uh, a significant sort of contribute or significant access to clients and data and solutions outside of the industry coming in and actually can probably move things much more quickly. How, how do you sort of deal with that balance between the sort of new, the new, uh, new, new, and then the kind of new to the industry, but actually already established organization? So I think there's a very important um piece to all of this innovation and that is that um, most of it's focused on an, an aspect of the value chain not the whole value chain typically and depending on where it's it's focused almost all of it relies on data and you know you hear it all the time about uh, all of the open access third-party data uh, lots of chat about that if it's pretty much open source third-party data it's available to anyone so as a competitive advantage that's quite a low barrier to uh, entry what really differentiates a lot of this is that, that the partnership with a firm with lots of data and, and that's really finding a, a large incumbent because that's where the data is going to come from. So what I think the, the the learning curve that's gone on in the innovation space in the insurance industry uh, that I've witnessed uh, is really that people have realized that y- you can't really attack this alone, that there is just a scale and data um, need. And so what you've seen is probably more established companies but they're more established because they've created some partnerships um they've probably done a couple of pilots um with insurance companies and they've learned the value that actually it really is a partnership in in the space that they're uh, uh, challenging um if you think of some of the bigger companies looking outside in we've seen tesla announce recently their own insurance program uh care by volvo i mentioned there again that's um about the advantage of scale and data and coming together to apply the technologies in a in a, uh, in a way that leverages insights and value from those I think it's what we've seen is people got very excited particularly in disintermediation and, and, and direct and efficiency focused innovation and quickly realized that that's all well and good but you've actually got a partner with someone who can help drive that so I think there's a realization that you can't just take the incumbents and assume that they're rubbish and off the off point and going to fail and think you're going to beat them. And for those two reasons I mentioned, the, the first being regulation and structure and the second one being you need us to help with the data to help verify the model to then help create the value. 
And <clears throat> so on this looking for solutions bit, what, what's the balance between looking for things that help you in the core business just get better at what you're already doing versus looking for new opportunities for new lines of business and, and bringing in new revenue that you might not have been able to underwrite before because you didn't have the tools or the data or the confidence in being able to price it? So uh, absolutely at the heart of our own Innovation Insights program is um, the split between sort of fortifying the core and then exploring and, and, and learning about the edge of the opportunity set, if you like, for what it can do for Liberty and our customers in the space. We're probably 70% um, core, 30% new in terms of portfolio split. Uh, I've got no idea if that's right or wrong. Um, it feels about right. Um, and the reason it feels about right is that there is plenty of opportunity within our own firm, and I'm sure true of others, to build those insights into our execution model and use that, as I've talked about before, to to bring uh, our underwriters into a more efficient and effective space so their decision-making is that much more valuable. Um, so, yeah, we'll explore and we examine and we take some funky ideas and sometimes we play with them and, uh, and sometimes we don't, but the, f the focus really uh, is on fortifying that core to really improve what we do for our customers today. And, and that, on that point about the underwriters, what do you find is the appetite amongst your team for yeah, coming up with new ideas and, and to the extent they can get some space to go and do that? Are they, are they sort of knocking on your doors, sort of asking for time to go and explore something, or do you have to sort of drag them away from their day job to get them to think about the, the new things? That's one of the, the sort of leadership challenges you face, I think, in innovation, new business type structures. And in large companies, quite often people have good ideas, but um, quite often they're um, they've got their day job and it's difficult. So what we've done is created a, a pathway for ideas. So if you've got a great idea and you're sat in our Western office um, and you think you probably don't have the time to do it, but you think it's a great idea and it's going to bring loads of value for our customers, we have a mechanism by which you can bring that through to our innovation team and, and we can scan it and do some preliminary work with your support. And if it's... If it's a really good idea, it will go up to our innovation council uh, and we'll give it some corporate backing. So trying to create the culture in which um, ideas get visibility and airtime is really important. James, you mentioned earlier that you, you've got a lot of reading to do to, to sort of catch up with what's going on, but how do you actually go and learn and find the time to learn what's going on in what is a, is a fast-moving marketplace? What's your sort of preferred source of information? Mostly it's talking and many of our business partners have innovation going on. And so we do a, a fair amount of sharing. We, we bring um, business partners into the lab quite often. So we share constructively on, on how we can develop it. And then for me, I'm fortunate enough to have people knocking on the door to come and chat about the market, normally trying to sell me something, but um, allows me to, to get their insights. And I've got a very, very strong team across all of my areas, but in my innovation team, I've got a a really diverse uh, group of individuals who bring different skills and different ideas and they are they're very uh, creative and and very keen to share those ideas and 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 get them in front of you so in the sort of environment we're in today you need to take different sources and different opinions and enable that to help form your perspective yeah and i think it's one of the powers of of london and it links back to your point about yeah you know, underwriters aren't going to be replaced by 
by machines is that, that human contact and, and whether it's a sort of an, an organized meeting or, or just bumping into somebody on the street and I guess you're off to Monte Carlo next week and you know, there's a lot of, sort of bumping into people there sometimes that's where you get the best insights just by, by sort of sharing some information I had the um, pleasure to be invited to speak at um, Insider Tech not that long ago, which, you know, I learned a huge amount from preparing for that, for example. That's a great opportunity for me to challenge my own thinking because I'm then going to put myself in the spotlight and uh, I, I have to be able to defend my position. And actually, I, I, I quite enjoy the opportunity to put my ideas into the public arena and, and get the feedback. And that allows you again to, to reflect and challenge your own ideas and make sure you're you're still taking in the, the right um, uh, concepts and, and you're processing those in the right way. Yeah, no, I was there and I, I took a lot of notes about your underwriter in the future, so maybe we should get together in five years and see if what you said has actually uh, come come real. Um, and James, if, if anybody's got an idea they want to uh, talk to Liberty about, uh, what's the best way for them to connect with you or any of your team? I, I, I would say if you're in, in London or Europe, um, Premal Gohill is um, my Innovations Insights man here. He he's deals with our partnerships and uh, he's very much focused on scanning and looking for opportunities that could excite us. So he's an active member of the LinkedIn community, so you can find him on there and he's quite often commentating uh, on, on uh, various things in the market. He has his own podcast for internal use as well, so he's, he enjoys a podcast. Tremendous. Okay, well, we'll, we'll uh, make sure we connect with Premal and I'll let you get back to uh, back to your job. I'm sure you're watching anxiously what Dorian is doing and for the rest of the hurricane season. But James, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, clearly there's a lot going on at Liberty and I'm sure we'll get them up on stage soon. In the meantime, as James mentioned, Premal Gohill is responsible for innovation partnerships at Liberty. He's based in London. Uh, and you can find him on LinkedIn. And I just noticed he had close to 20,000 followers. Premal will also be coming along to our events later this year. So if you're in London and haven't signed up yet for one of our monthly events, you can do so at www.instec.london. <laughs>